Welcome to the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. My name is Jeanette Cochran. I'm a pastor, women's leadership coach, and self-proclaimed Jesus feminist. I'm on a mission to inspire and equip women everywhere to own our voice, speak up, create, and lead wherever God calls. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so thrilled that you've tuned in again today. And today I want to talk about something that's been all over the news. It's been in the papers. It's been all over the internet. If you are a Christian woman in leadership or just a Christian in general, you've probably heard about it. It's Pastor Rick Warren's Apology to Christian Women. So if you're not completely familiar with what's been taking place. Pastor Rick Warren, the founding pastor of Saddleback Church, made a pivotal shift in his theology that surprised millions of us and has sparked a lot of controversy. For some 50 years, Pastor Warren has upheld and practiced and taught complementarian views on gender roles, but he has made a significant shift in his beliefs, even labeling himself as an egalitarian Southern Baptist. Whoa, is that even really a thing? Well, apparently, egalitarian Southern Baptist is not a thing because earlier this week, I think it was on June 13th, the Southern Baptist Convention voted to uphold their previous decision to expel Saddleback Church and any other church from the Southern Baptist Convention who would have the audacity to ordain women pastors. Any church that will let women be pastors and exercise their gifts of teaching and leading at the pastoral or elder level is expelled from the Southern Baptist Convention. So apparently, egalitarian Southern Baptists do not exist. (laughs) Oh, friends, I'm not making this stuff up. But here's the thing. This is actually great news. This is incredible news. The Holy Spirit is clearly at work because Pastor Rick Warren has no earthly reason to go out of ministry. He's retiring. He's turning his church over. What earthly reason would he have For after 53 years of ministry, standing up and saying, hey, I was wrong and I have changed my beliefs and I now believe that the Bible understood in its original context without our cultural and gender biases, I believe that the Bible affirms women as equal partners in ministry. What earthly reason would he have for doing such a thing after 50 some years in ministry as a Southern Baptist? other than the Holy Spirit has pierced his heart and convicted him. And he is committed to the scriptures. He is committed to Christ. And because of that, he is willing to stand up even now and take the heat. Earlier this week, Rick Warren posted a public apology to Christian women on Twitter. 
And I'm guessing most of you have read it, but in case you haven't, and just for our conversation here, I'm going to read it. This is in Pastor Warren's own words on his Twitter feed. He said, quote, my biggest regret in 53 years of ministry is that I didn't do my own personal exegesis sooner on the four passages used to restrict women. Shame on me. I wasted those four years of Greek and college and seminary. When I finally did my proper due diligence, laying aside 50 years of bias, I was shocked, chagrined, and embarrassed. So many hermeneutical rules were being violated, including never build a doctrine on a single word that is used only once in scripture. There's nothing to compare it to. Do your own study of authentane in ancient Greek, and you'll be shocked too. I think maybe it was because I didn't want to know anything that might challenge the view I wanted to believe for 50 years. But eventually, integrity required that I read over 70 commentaries by inerratist scholars that blew apart my comfortable, traditional, and cultural-based interpretation. No seminary told me that those commentaries even existed, and Baptist bookstores refused to carry them. So I accepted the interpretation that was most comfortable for me as a man with my background. Then reading over a hundred books on the early church and the history of the Great Commission demanded my repentance. That journey was both painful and humbling. I don't expect to win in New Orleans, and I certainly don't expect to change the mind of any angry fundamentalist. They are responsible to God, not to me. I'm doing this as an act of obedience to the Holy Spirit, but I do want to do this. I publicly apologize to every good woman in my life, church, and ministry that I failed to speak up for in my years of ignorance. What grieves me is that I hindered them in obeying the Great Commission command that everyone is to teach in the church. I held them back from using the spiritual gifts and leadership skills that the Holy Spirit had sovereignly placed in them. That breaks my heart now, and I am truly repentant and sorry for my sin. I wish I could do it all over. Christian women, will you please forgive me? Regardless of attacks and the vote result, I want a clear conscience before my master that I repented and that the sinner did what he asked me to do. With that, I am completely content to let him be the judge and evaluator of my life and ministry. We must live for an audience of one. Well, so my first thought when I read that, and I'm sure many Christian women, was thank you, Jesus. Amazing. After 50 years of teaching and upholding complementarian gender roles that have excluded women from roles of teaching and leadership in the church, this is a seismic shift. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired transformation for the kingdom of God, for the church to live fully into her calling so that women can rise to our full potential, which is standing side by side with our brothers in Christ, locking arms and moving forward together in the call that Jesus has placed on our life. So that was my first thought. Thank you, Jesus. This is clearly a work of God in Pastor Rick Warren's heart. But secondly, 
I want to say thank you, Rick Warren, and apology accepted. Because I'm not sure if Rick realizes it or not, but his example and teaching have rippled throughout evangelicalism, influencing millions and millions of people. As a pastor of one of of the biggest Southern Baptist church, and I believe the biggest church in California, as a pastor who has taught a million pastors, and his book, The Purpose Driven Life, has sold 50 million copies, he has significant influence in the Christian church. And so his position, even if he wasn't overtly preaching about it, his position has held influence with a lot of people. 46 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus in a Southern Baptist church. I loved that church. That church gave me a strong foundation, and the people in that church, the pastor of that church, were kind, compassionate, Jesus-loving people. For the first 25 years of my life, I considered myself a good Baptist girl. I believed what they told me about myself. I believed that as a woman, I was created by God to be a helper, to help men accomplish the real work of ministry, and that my main calling in life was to be a wife and a mother, and that God only chose men to be pastors and leaders in the church. I believe that from my Southern Baptist upbringing for at least the first 25 to 28 years of my life, until God began to reveal my gifts, until someone in the church when I was about 26 years old affirmed that I had a leadership gift and that I was pretty good at teaching. And I started to experience God's call on my life to be a leader and a pastor and a teacher. And I went back to seminary. I went back to school and I went to seminary. I put in the time. I put in the work to study the scriptures for myself. And it was at that time that I realized that if we have a leadership gift, a teaching gift, it doesn't matter what our gender is, that we should exercise that gift for the full glory of God. And so I want to say, Rick Warren, apology accepted, because your teaching has influenced so many Christian women. Thank you for the humility and the honesty with which you have been willing to acknowledge that your previous position really was held so deeply in large part because of what you call sin. I would agree. I think that's a strong statement, but this is Rick's brutally honest statement. I want to highlight a few things in Pastor Rick's statement because his brutal honesty exposes what I think are the real obstacles that women face in the church. And it's not the biblical text. It's not the insurmountable biblical texts that are keeping women shut out of exercising their gifts of teaching and leading and pastoral ministry. I think it's the three things that we see Pastor Rick so courageously expose in his statement and his apology to Christian women. The first one, I would say, is men who are in power not willing to do the work. Pastor Warren says himself, in 53 years of ministry, 
I didn't do my own personal exegesis sooner on the four passages, name that. So in his mind, there were four passages that he believed restricted women. And he says, I didn't do my due diligence in 53 years. Instead, he, like many men, and I'm not suggesting, please hear me out. I'm not saying these are evil, bad men. No, I'm just saying for whatever reason, cultural biases, uh, because it's hard work. I mean, who knows? I don't know what each person's reason is, but I do know that we are where we are because there are plenty of men that have accepted the handful of verses that they have been given and they have not done the study for themselves. So much of the biblical text and the historical evidence, when you actually dig in, counters complementarian theology. It's not surprising that in his statement, Rick mentions 1 Timothy 2.12, because 1 Timothy 2.12 is often cited as the insurmountable scriptural basis for excluding women from roles of leading and teaching in the church. 1 Timothy 2.12 is Paul writing to Timothy, who is at the church at Ephesus, and amongst other things, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, this sentence, written in Greek by Paul and translated into our English, says, teach or assume authority over a man. But friends, that is not what Paul wrote. Because Paul did not write his letter in English. Paul wrote that letter in Greek, in the language of his day. And so the word that Paul used, Paul said, I do not permit a woman to authentain a man. Authentain is the word that Paul used. And as Rick Warren alludes to, this is the only place in scripture where Paul or any other scriptural writer uses the word authentic. And so this is called a hapax. In biblical studies, a hapax refers to a word that appears uniquely in one place in either the Old or the New Testament. And so proper, responsible biblical interpretation requires that you should never build a doctrine around a hapax. Now, complementarians claim That when they pull this verse, when they pluck this verse out of the letter and out of the Bible and out of its original context, and they make no um, explanation for the original Greek word, they claim that they are defending a plain and clear interpretation of this scripture. But that's impossible because it's a hapax. By its very essence, it is not plain and it is not clear. It needs extra care and extra work. That is a basic hermeneutical principle. That's what Pastor Rick is referring to in his in his statement. And he's saying, man, do your own study on the word authentic, because when he did, he was amazed. He saw something very different. Exousia was the typical Greek word that Paul most often used for authority. In the New Testament, exousia would be a typical healthy exercise of authority. Paul doesn't use the word exousia here. Instead, he chooses very specifically the word authentic because Paul is not speaking of the typical authority in the church. 
Paul is speaking to a unique situation happening at the church at Ephesus. He's not against women exercising a healthy leadership over men. He is against women domineering and powering over the men, and he is against a heresy that the women were teaching other women that was causing them to dominate men. So there's so much more that could be said about this passage. I'm not going to go into it in any more detail, other than I just, I appreciated Pastor Rick bringing that important word to light because I have had multiple conversations with men and they often will say, if it wasn't for this one verse, I would be with you. And I want to say, go back just as Pastor Rick has said and do your work on authentine because if you exegete that passage more carefully, you will find that Paul was not setting up a universal prohibition against women pastors and teachers in the church. If you want to know more about the passage in 1 Timothy, you can go back to my episode number six, the most misunderstood verse in scripture, where I do a more fuller exegesis of that passage. So I encourage you to listen to that and share it with anyone else that you think might be willing to reconsider this passage. It's interesting that he also admits that there were commentaries and books that his Southern Baptist seminary and bookstore intentionally withheld, right? He says, no seminary told me that those commentaries even existed and Baptist bookstores refused to carry them. Now, I understand that as Christian universities, we do want to um, choose Christian books to teach on. But here's the thing. I think we should expect that our higher education should teach us to think critically, not hand us what to believe. And so that means we should be exposed to a wide variety of opinions. And then we should be given principles for interpretation and we should be encouraged, how do we think critically? And then left to make our own decision. But if our seminaries and our bookstores refuse to share other views that are clearly orthodox views, if one affirms women pastors, that's not a heresy. I hear people say again and again, position on women in ministry leadership is a secondary issue. It's not core to the Christian faith. You can believe differently and still be in Christian orthodoxy. So why are we withholding these books? Why are we withholding these perspectives instead of putting them out there and calling Christians and training, I should say, and training our pastors to understand fully the different positions so that they can make their own decision? So the obstacles that women face in the church is not the biblical text as much as it is that the men who currently are holding power are not doing the work themselves. And they're just accepting the interpretation that they were received. And maybe the interpretation that, as Rick says, is the most comfortable one, right? That's number two. The second major obstacle that women face in the Christian church is the comfortable gender and cultural biases that are often brought to the scriptures as the lens by which we view the scripture. Because our biases 
influence the lens that we read the scripture with. If you read Pastor Rick's statement on Twitter and even a handful of the comments, you probably noticed that there were a ton of very negative, very unkind, critical responses to Pastor Warren's statement. There was one statement that I want to read to you here. I'm not going to give the gentleman's name because I don't think that even really matters who it is. I just, I'm going to share this statement because it is a prime example of gender bias and confirmation bias that we bring when we read the scriptures that I want to say so many men and women are bringing to the scriptures. And so this particular person wrote, I just got done reading the Gospels and the book of Acts. Not one woman is preaching or teaching, not even one. Priscilla is kind of teaching in a private context. Most do not realize the church has been feminized. Until 1960, women pastors are more rare than unicorns. Wow. Okay, talk about gender bias. He is blind to all the women who are there in scripture. Well, first of all, he admits Priscilla is there. She absolutely is a teacher. But of course, since she's female, his gender bias discounts her. Oh, but she's just teaching privately. She is giving corrective teaching to Apollos, a man, and she is commended for it in scripture. She is commended by Paul as one of his co-laborers in Christ. How about Mary Magdalene? Mary Magdalene is commissioned by the risen Christ himself. She is told directly as the first person to go and proclaim the gospel. What is another word for proclaim? Preach, teach. She was told by Jesus to go And proclaim to those doubting men that Jesus the Christ is alive. What about that? 1 Corinthians also gives instructions on how women should dress when they're praying and prophesying in the public gathering. You see, in the early church, prophecy was a form of teaching. The way the early church led their services was not like our 21st century modern-day evangelical Americanized church. In the early church, prophecy and prayer was done amongst many people in the gathering. It wasn't one lone pastor that was ordained and got up to speak the teaching and the words of God. And so that's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul is telling the women how they should dress when they are praying and prophesying In the public gathering, this was a form of teaching. They were speaking the inspired words of God. So yes, women were teaching and women were preaching in the early church. Then in Romans 16, we find Phoebe. She's commended as a deacon. Junia is an apostle that Paul says she was his co-worker in Christ. What else would one of Paul's co-workers do but preach and teach the gospel? If we read the Bible with a 21st century lens, looking for leadership structures and titles and offices similar to our churches today, we're not going to find it because our churches have taken on different forms. 
And some might even argue that our churches today look more like corporate America than Jesus-centered communities. But that whole talk is for another day. The point that I want to make here is the core obstacle that women face is that people often bring their personal biases to scripture. And so they see what they want to see. It's a normal human challenge. But we have to be willing to first recognize that we have biases and be open to trying to see where those biases are. Because if we approach the scriptures with those cultural and gender biases, we're going to see what this man saw. He said he didn't see any women, no women teaching or preaching in Acts or the Gospels. There were plenty of empowered women in the early church. Unfortunately, they get ignored, marginalized, and overlooked because of confirmation bias. The third obstacle for women's equality and the full inclusion of our gifts within the church is humility. Humility is required for men who are the ones currently in power to admit that they've been wrong for a very, very long time. Now, I'll admit, as a human being, for all of us, it's hard to say we're wrong, especially to stand up before maybe our church or even people beyond our church, like Pastor Rick Warren has done, and say, you know what? I've been wrong. And this is why I commend Rick Warren for his courage and his vulnerability to be humble and to open himself to his church and the wider culture and everyone and to admit that he was wrong and to even go so far as to call it sin and to ask for forgiveness. He said, quote, I am sorry for my sin. I wish I could do it all over. Christian women, will you please forgive me? Now, if I'm honest, I wish Pastor Rick's awakening would have come 25 or 30 years sooner because I wonder how that might have impacted my trajectory as one who came to Jesus in a Southern Baptist church, as one who was highly influenced by Southern Baptist leaders. But yes, I forgive him. And I thank you, Pastor Rick Warren, for being so courageous and clear and committed to proclaiming your newfound conviction to egalitarian theology. You see, this newfound perspective means that Pastor Rick Warren now advocates for equal rights and opportunities for women within the church and the society at large. He is clear, even at the level of pastor and elder. It's a seismic shift, and it hasn't been without its challenges. Pastor Rick Warren, I am sorry, but not surprised that you have been criticized and slandered. You have been called one who is now uncommitted to the Holy Scriptures and labeled a heretic and expelled from your Christian community in the Southern Baptist Convention. I think that is a tragedy. I think that hurts the church. I know it certainly hurts many of us who have watched on. 
I know it hurts many of us women who have listened to the terrible things that have been said about you because of the stand that you have taken for your sisters in Christ. But Pastor Rick Warren, my encouragement to you today is Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12, in the words of our Master and Lord Himself. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So take heart, my dear sisters. This week, if it's shown us anything... It's shown us that the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is raising up God's daughters to stand side by side with our brothers in Christ so that the church of Jesus Christ can reach her full redemptive potential. When the women rise, not above their brothers, but placed fully and firmly beside their brothers as Jesus intended it for the church to be. When women rise, everyone wins. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it with other women in your network. For more information about me and the work that I do, check out JeanetteCochran.com. And I'd love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social. You can find me on Facebook at Coach or Instagram at Jeanette.Cochran.